Hello, everybody. Welcome to some other useless podcast with Richard Wigand. I am Richard Wigand. And today's show is going to be a little bit different because it's going to be more like a, well, a movie review. But also tie into some history and some background on the movie that I will be reviewing. But it is a reboot to a show. You, you could call it a reboot, a remake, what have you. These, wor- these words out there are getting really interchangeable. But as I'm doing the research on the monsters is what I'm going to be talking about. It's very interesting because it has ties to or very close similarities to another show that premiered at the exact same time. Now, we talked about all this, all these uh, different things on the show, about how an idea comes to be, an idea gets ripped off. I haven't really got into a whole lot of some of it. We talk about lawsuits. We talk about different discrepancies over the years. This really wasn't a legal discrepancy. Nobody got sued. Um, it just happens to be one a giant coincidence. So lately in the news is the, the release of Rob Zombie's The Monsters. Before I get into all of that, let's go back for a second because I want to get into the history of The Monsters in general and then bring it up to now. Because at the same time, The Monsters was on CBS and about a week before the Adams Family premieres. Same year. Same number of seasons. These shows were eventually canceled. I was always into the Adams Family. The original TV show. I can I grew up with the movie, and for whatever reason, we see the movies most recently pop up on Pluto because they're all paramount. You can see them on Paramount Plus without ads, I guess. I was into the movies. There's The Adams Family, and then there's Adams Family Values. Those movies are not in my DVD collection. I, I, I don't know over the years if I, you know, deliberately left them out. I, I really don't know. It, we started watching these things when they were on videotape, you know, renting them from a store. And I, I, I want to say we have one of them on tape and I want to say it's the first one but now reflecting back onto it and also with the most recent release of a Netflix show called Wednesday all this stuff is all running all together and it's very strange the history of these shows because the Adams Family actually technically came first as a concept from Charles Adams, who was into doing cartoons for the New Yorker. He would draw these characters. These, I had to really get into it. They really go back to 1937. So, yes. The Adams Family, the idea of the Adams Family is before the Munsters. And somewhere I read, they actually said that they actually deliberately copied from the New Yorker cartoons the monsters did 
There's different kinds of little tidbits you find out here and there of how the history of monsters came to be. The idea of the monsters goes way back to 1943. And they were developing this idea. It was suggested by an animator at Universal Studios. From 1943 to 1945 is like a series of cartoons. And they say that this thing didn't really take off until like 1963, which makes sense because a year later they do develop into a television show, which from the beginning they wanted to turn the monsters into an animated show. It was supposed to be a cartoon. Now, coincidentally, after the run of the show, they do make a cartoon. I mean, when, when these ideas started, they started out as vague ideas. Not really what you would come to see the monsters end up being. It wasn't until the writers of Rocky and Bullwinkle, Alan Burns and Chris Hayward, they decided they had this idea. They're the ones that said, we sort of stole the idea from Charles Adams and his New Yorker cartoons. Because Universal owned the Frankenstein character and the Dracula character for movie rights, they decided to take their characters instead of the characters we had written. They did film the pilot in color. It was by MCA Television or CBS. And they attached Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis. And they were most notably known for starring in together Car 54, Where Are You? Which also later gets remade into a movie with John C. McGinley and the guy who sings uh, Feeling Hot, Hot, Hot. They went through several different kinds of versions. They had Yvonne DiCarlo ordered in the second pilot. And then by the time you get to the third pilot, they get a character that they replace with uh, Butch Patrick. And it seems that CBS... They liked Yvonne DiCarlo, and they liked Butch Patrick. They ordered a fourth pilot. And I guess in this version, the Eddie Munster character was less spoiled. The show goes on to be produced by Joe Connolly and Bob Mosher. And they're the ones behind Leave it to Beaver. The thing that I always think about when I see the Munsters is the amount of makeup that they have to apply to Fred Gwynn all the time. And, you know, you're seeing these shows in black and white. You do eventually get to see him in color. And one episode that stands out in particular is one where they go, hey, let's let uh, Fred Gwynn as Herman turn into a human, which would be just like regular Fred Gwynn. So he got to have like a vacation for a week without having the makeup. But they really overworked him because they, they really put him in a lot of different outfits with the makeup. And, you know, he has a high stature. Um, I don't know how much time it took to do his makeup compared to today. Because today gets pretty advanced. But for a TV show every week, he would constantly have to be made up to look like this. But an uh, interesting fact that I liked about, that they mentioned about Herman was that um, it's Fred Gwynn that added Herman's stutter. And uh, whenever he was like angry or wanted to um, be serious about something, he would leave his, he would leave his mouth open. 
and he would be, they, they, they say that he was, um, this makes him less scary if he had his mouth open. So you, you do kind of look back and look at how Fred Gwynn plays the character. He's supposed to be a monster, but he's like, you talk sophisticated and he, you know, has these one-liners here and there, but it does stand out. So when these two shows are premiering at the same time, Adam's Family would have started September 18th in 1964. And The Monsters follows September 24th, uh, 1964. The Monsters are on CBS and The Adams Family are on ABC. John Astin, who played the original Gomez, had a very interesting take on it. And I think it pretty much explains how everybody should perceive the differences between the Monsters and the Adams Family. Because I guess for years... They everybody thought it was like the same kind of idea, but they are like a little slight different. John Aston explains that the monsters were actually like monsters. In the other way, they're like normal. And then the the Adams family, they look like like some of them look sophisticated, and they kind of could pass as normal, but they're like really like highly eccentric, is what he said. And you look back and think, like, yeah. Um, Adam's family gets pretty violent. Um, it's very interesting to me that they continue to still do the Adam's family, considering all the violence that's between the children. They've since had, after the run of the Adam's family, they did have the Adam's family animated series by Hanna-Barbera, and they later had, like, a different animated series. And on that one, John Aston does come back and plays, um, Gomez. Then you fast forward, and you, there's, there's there's several direct-to-video things of Adam's Family and another Adam's Family TV series. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because the monsters have gone through this very similar transition into, or evolution, I should say. Both from 1964, both launching animated series to see what sticks, both being remade there was another Monsters TV show called The Monsters Today. The Monsters Today is from 1988, and they lasted three seasons. And John Shuck, if anybody is familiar with his work from Macmillan and Wife, and I remember his appearance on um, uh, Maritime War Show, you can look at him and you can, you can see... Very interesting features that look kind of similar to Fred Gwynn. Is it was you know you don't want to say but you know he looks like a monster. He does kind of have that kind of physique, like the same thing could be say uh, said about Ron Perlman, who is known for playing Hellboy and the Beast in a Beauty and the Beast TV series. They just have a certain look about them that they can, you know, I don't know if they like that or not being called monsters, but. They do have this um, look about them that sells it, and the makeup just adds to the effect and makes it more intense, I would say. Lee Merriweather uh, was on the show. She's uh, uh, known for playing Catwoman on the original Batman series, which is odd because Butch Patrick actually credits for the cancellation of the monsters due to the popularity of the Batman series 
running at the same time during their show. But a very interesting uh, other little thing that I, I thought was cool was Jason Marsden. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Jason Marsden's work. He's the voice of the cat in Hocus Pocus. He's had a part on Step by Step TV series. He was Eddie Munster on this show from 1988. 73 episodes that they did. Now this is now NBC. This is where it turns into NBC Universal. And eventually Universal would own I think they owned the rights in the, the beginning, but for whatever reason, they first aired on CBS, but now they can have a complete takeover. NBC Universal still owns the rights because Universal was on the front uh, of the latest Rob Zombie. So they, they, over the years, the original Munsters, they made movies. They made a few TV movies with the original people. There's this one... That's like a Munster's Christmas. That's with uh, Sam McMurray. He's a popular guy. He's from The Sopranos. But he's also... Um, he plays the boss to uh, Kevin James on King of Queens. And if anybody remembers him on Friends, he was Chandler's boss who always would uh, spank him and do inappropriate things. And Chandler was, um, you know really surprised by how he was reacting to him, or acting to him. He plays the part of Herman Munster. And again, this guy, yeah, you, he has these features, so when you add the... He, you know, he really has to have the makeup added to him to make it really look like him. He, he doesn't really look more like a monster like the other ones could sell out. I don't know how tall Sam McMurray is. I know Fred Gwynn, his, you know, his body type just completely, and I know he's enhanced though, but his stature does sell the idea. So the Munsters today had this completely different kind of plot that set it up. Uh, also, um, the, the actor who played the grandpa on the show is an actor known, uh, his name is um, Howard Morton, and he is known for the planet officer on Give Me a Break. That's what I... <laughs> It, it, it's, it's strange how I was looking up these people because all at the same time, like recently, like well, when I say recently, I mean this past year, maybe a few months ago, um, my mom and I were watching Mary Tyler Moore a lot. So this John Shuck pops up. So I'm, I'm looking up to see who he is and I start seeing that he had one at one time played Herman Munster and I get tied to this other guy as I'm watching give me a break and all this stuff is connecting and then the announcement that Rob Zombie is going to come out with the movie The Monsters when he first was working on it Rob Zombie was very smart about letting everybody know what it was going to look like as he was doing it you know the announcement of all the people you know his wife of course is playing the the part of Lily uh, there is no Eddie Munster and the star of the show, supposed to be the star of the show, is Jeffrey Daniel Phillips, who's from a lot of Rob Zombie movies. Daniel Roebuck got announced as Grandpa, and that's why I feel kind of biased once I go into the movie review. I, My family and I have met him several times, and he's been very nice to our family. And, um, yeah, I immediately got into it because of him. 
you know, not a, not an immediate fan of the monsters. Like I said, I was more into the Adams family. Uh, even though I had problems with the Adams family movies, my sister brought up. I forgot um, when the Adams family was on. Uh, lately, she would tell me, "Did you remember the part where Uncle Fester? That's not really him." I forget how they set it up the second one, but. They get this guy that's supposed to be, and he, and the whole time, he thinks it's his brother. And by the end of it, he's so attached to this guy that he does call him brother. But he isn't, I guess, the real Uncle Fester, which really, it really put me off. I forgot about that. For one thing, when I'm growing up watching this, I didn't really know how much of this I had to remember. Um, but looking back, Christina Ricci still around I grew up with her knowing her from Casper she was always in this, these type movies that we would just somehow follow her along to watch I'm a huge fan of Christopher Lloyd but you know, there's something about the Addams Family movies that just, you know I don't know for, for the reason we just never had them in our collection and now, since then, they have a new show at the same exact time that The Munsters has a movie. Again, the, the Munsters and the Addams Family have to have this connection. And a lot of people have been divided on the way that Rob Zombie has taken over The Munsters. Now, when it was first announced, I was a bit skeptical because... I did not know what direction he was going to go in. But as soon as I saw that Daniel Roebuck was going to be Grandpa and what he looked like, Daniel Roebuck has has since then done more religious-type shows and directed and written films. So I thought, wow, he's really good friends with Rob Zombie who would cast him and bring him back into his movies. He's in a few of them. He's in Halloween and he's in I think he's The Devil's Rejects. Coincidentally, those are the only two Rob Zombie movies I've ever seen. I have not seen The House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, 31, The Lords of Salem. I have not seen any of these things. And Jeffrey Daniel Phillips, who played Herman, is in like three of these things. Going into it, I felt better once Daniel Roebuck got added because I thought... I don't think this is going to go hardcore R or really bloody. I mean, he could the, the way that Rob Zombie could ruin it is make the monsters sadistic and turn everything about that you would love about the show into something um, just completely maybe offensive or just, you know, hard to watch. And I was very surprised that, surprised and relieved that not only was it not going to be that way, but the movie was going to be PG. A Rob Zombie PG movie. And right away, because of the evolution of filmmaking, you know, kids who were kids 20 years ago want R-rated things. They want the hardcore stuff. And I remember Will Ferrell. They're liberally making semi-pro for the fact that a lot of his previous projects were PG-13. 
So he wanted to make an R-rated movie for the audience that was um, around when he was making PG-13 things. Semi-Pro didn't do very well. So he doesn't make too many R movies. He does have another one with Kevin Hart. Again, did not do very well. So he's learning. He's learning that when he does dive into R-rated films, it doesn't really work out for him. He 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 doesn't he can't limit his audience. You know, if you have already have half an audience, don't cut that half in half. And you can have many people over the years of why they would stop being a fan of Will Ferrell or if they can't stand him. I grew up, you know, he 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 was attached to everything that I was around. Austin Powers, Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live. And then I just get into his movies because of him. He becomes one of those actors that, you know, something is going to seem interesting if Will Ferrell's in it. And I remember when he got added to Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back. And that was the first time I ever <laughs> I ever heard Will Ferrell uh, say the F word in a movie. I mean, this, I forget how old I was, but that's my thinking. You know, you see these people on television act a certain way. Yes, they're going to be different in real life, but watching him in that, you know, I was just, that was my first instance of that. And so you see that they, they still, to this day, they trickle around how they want to talk to their audience. They know that if they go above and beyond, like by the time you get to the 40-year-old virgin, they're like, let's go all in. I think it was actually more after the success of Wedding Crashers. They just decided, hey, let's go all in and do, I forget which came first, but let's just go all in and make a raunchy comedy, and that, because a lot of your movies that were R-rated don't dominate the box office. These days, in the streaming world, we got the streaming world, and we also have the pandemic world, which means pandemic world says your movies can't go to theaters no matter what. Um, and now, when movies come out, they either are going to go or kind of go. I just read that the sequel to Knives Out is going to be on Netflix, but it's going to be in theaters for one week. So it's like they're they're acknowledging the theater goers, but they're kind of making us work harder if we don't have these streaming platforms. As I talked about uh, Amsterdam a few shows back. That I just, I wanted to, um, it, it just, it hit me because we, we get lucky with some movies, but there are movies out there that we haven't seen yet that would be movies that we would see if they came out to theaters. Like there's a Brian Cranston one on Paramount Plus that we would be interested in seeing. Whether we would see it in the theaters, probably not, but if it had a faster way of coming out on DVD, we, you know, I, I get it. But because it's like stuck in this streaming thing, unlocked, I, I don't know. We'll get to it when we get to it. That's just the way things are. You find out, oh yeah, someone's got a show out. Like Christian Bale has a new movie out, but it's only going to be uh, Netflix, I think. Again, these... <laughs> They're keeping it from us. They're keeping it from us. Disney Plus is 
we get very bad at that, as we talked about. But when the monsters got announced, I immediately thought they were going to go to Peacock and be stuck on Peacock. Even though I've seen a few Peacock shows come out to DVD. You know, because for whatever reason, they made a Say by the Bell show. But for whatever reason, they did bring up that to DVD. So, woohoo. I think it is streaming on Peacock. But when the Monsters was announced, it was announced it was going to be on Netflix. And I was like, oh, well, there you go. Not going to get to see it. And they said, the Monsters and Wednesday are both going to be on Netflix. And I'm like, it was kind of, we didn't too much know too much about Wednesday and the cast. So I was like, well, we're not going to get to see the Monsters. Then shortly after, there's this promo that I see where it's advertising that the Monsters is going to be on DVD, digital, like on the same day. And I'm like, huh, well that's cool. I'm going to get that for my mom for her birthday, which I did, which is why I'm doing a late review on the movie, because we, we just saw it shortly after her birthday. And the trailer was released, people freaked out, not in a good way, People bashed it to pieces. And as I, I started to say in, in another show, somebody's vision is somebody's dream. You can tell how passionate somebody is about filmmaking. Rob Zombie loves television. I don't know Rob Zombie, but I know Rob Zombie loves television. Classic television. He grew up with Sid Haig. And he was able to bring him back, revived his career, turned his career around. He's done that with a few other actors. You know, he's very selected, his cast, and they're pretty interesting. His movies are pretty sadistic, but he does create a world with interesting characters and actors. So when I saw the trailer for The Monsters, I was like, I immediately knew what he was doing. People bashed it for being too cheesy. People said, hey, I could have made that. They, they really bashed it for the quality that it was. It's the monsters. You know, you, you go into, like, for one thing, they tried making a monster show years ago called Mockingbird Lane. And it was by the guy who created Pushing Daisies, Dead Like Me. And a lot of other shows where that guy eventually stepped down. So if that show ever came to be, that show would still be restructured because that Brian Fuller is pretty hard to work with. You know, he's he's on the list of creative differences, as they say. They really, they completely retooled it. Jerry O'Connell was Herman, and uh, Aunt, uh, Grandpa Munster was actually um, Eddie Izzard, Back when he was doing roles like that. So that idea got scrapped. And they turned it into a TV movie. Just like the Addams Family. The Addams Family went through all this the same way. Making cartoons. Making a complete new series. They had a series on like Fox Family. That I would catch. And they had this guy that played Gomez. And he's playing Gomez as if John Aston was playing 
Gomez looked just like John Aston's character. Coincidentally, John Aston actually guest starred on this show. Years prior, you had Royal Julia. Lately, before they made the Wednesday show, Adam's family went back to animation. They did two animated movies in which Oscar Isaac is now Gomez. So now they're going into that direction, trying to pay homage to what they did with Royal Julia in the ones from the early 90s. Gomez, the drawings, look closer to Raw Julia, look not too much like Oscar Isaac, but the latest actor to play Gomez, Luis Guzman. And actually, his hair, I'm looking at a picture right now, his hair looks really fake, but to his credit, according to the New Yorker cartoons, it is the most like of the character. It makes you think about the evolution. I, I keep using that word a lot because it, it just it ties to so many things of filmmaking and the history of these shows and the ideas that got put into these shows. Two shows, exact same time. And the New Yorker cartoons come out by Charles Adams. And it looks pretty close to this Louise Guzman. But for whatever reason, they choose to go into the John Aston direction, which now changes the body type. And then by the time you get to the Barry Sonnefeld films, it now changes the nationality. And then now they, 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 they keep playing on that because hence they get Oscar Isaac to kind of play into that kind of accent type. Because the way... John Aston would talk. He talked French, but he wasn't, you know, he's not American, even though they're trying to live in America, you know. So it's very interesting, these two shows, but I always was more, like, both shows are really heavily gimmicky and both cheesy. And to Rob Zombie's credit, he did what the show, you know, um, would have been. I, I really think that yes, it is a, a reimagining and it is his vision because they're not his characters, but he's wanted to do this for years. He has a song, I guess, called Dragula, which is the vehicle they had on the Munsters. He's been wanting to make a movie for years and he finally got to. I want them to come back because I, I, I really think they should come back because I think that January Jones would be a perfect Marilyn. She's the first name, probably because she looks some a character set in the sixties when it's when it's supposed to be modern day and it's in the sixties, she puts in the mind of January Jones as her character in Mad Men. So that's probably where I got that. It just it immediately just it should be her. And I know that January Jones can do comedy because she's on The Last Man on Earth. But who knows if The Monsters is going to get a sequel. I mean, I really think, I really hope they do because Daniel Roebuck is really proud of it. That was another thing that got me into it that, that made me feel better about the movie was that he was really proud of it. And my sister bought a DVD from him years ago 
because he would go around and he used to go around I guess at conventions as a character we never got to see him do that as like Doc Doc Shock or Doc Shocker never got to see that but he was into that world he's into doing conventions he's into the macabre as they say he's heavily a monster mask collector he's, he loves movie monsters so for him to play Grandpa Munster is like really cool. I mean, really super cool. And the cast of the Munsters, aside from Rob Zombie's wife, Richard Brake. Let me talk about Richard Brake. He is amazing. Apparently, I've been I've seen him in several things. I'm not into Game of Thrones. But he is the Night King. And when I would see imagery of Game of Thrones, the Night King is probably one of the coolest characters you know, that you could have on a show. I don't know what I don't know if he talks or how he acts. I've never seen a single scene of it. They have these two sets out. And I think those are his only two seasons. If I had to get into Game of Thrones and I want to watch it, I would only watch his shows. Because this this monster movie really kind of turns into like a really showcase of look what Richard Brake can do. They both, the whole cast, play two or three characters each. Even Jeffrey Daniel Phillips, who's Herman Munster, he's Zombo, and then he's a character named Shecky. Now the premise of the show is that Richard Brake, as a scientist, is making what would be Herman Munster, okay? And he's supposed to get the brain of a sophisticated person. But instead, he gets the brain from this cadaver, who's a comedian named Shecky, also played by Jeffrey Daniel Phillips. So now, whenever Herman opens his mouth, he's not sophisticated, he's a one-liner comedian, which sets up the premise of why he talks the way he does, and, and does these cheesy little jokes here and there. Because he's actually a comedian that had died. So I thought that was pretty inventive. But watching Richard Brake play that. And Richard Brake play a character of um, Count Orlock. He plays this Count Orlock who goes on a date with Lily. This guy likes to play these kinds of characters to get into the makeup. Like, like you know, like the Night King. I don't know. I just, I just was really impressed by him. In particular, Daniel Roebuck played a few characters. He plays a talk show host named Ezra Mosher, which Munster's fans would quickly pick up on the fact that that is a combination of uh, directors and producers in the show, Ezra Stone and Bob Mosher, who, you know, co-did the show. So I thought that was really inventive and pretty cool. You have Jorge Garcia play a character. With alongside Richard Brake, and I was thinking, is like, is that random or not random? I don't know how Jorge Garcia. I first thought, I don't know how Jorge Garcia got attached to this, but I was as I kept thinking, I was like, Daniel Roebuck was on Lost, and Jorge Garcia was on Lost. If anything, he had the most memorable line from the show. Spoiler alert. 
Daniel Roebuck plays like a science teacher. And he uh, blows up. He's playing around with dynamite and he blows up. His, he just completely splatters and goes everywhere. And one of Hurley, played by Jorge Garcia, one of his lines is, because uh, Daniel Roebuck's character's name is Arnst. He says, you got a little bit of Arnst on you. So it's like, okay, there we go. I don't know if that's why, I don't know if that's how Jorge Garcia, I don't know if he got auditioned, or if Daniel Roebuck thought of him, or Rob Zombie thought of, I don't know. I really don't know how that came to be, but it was just really fun to watch Elvira, Cassandra Peterson, pops up as a witch. You, you first see her without makeup, but then she puts on makeup as a witch. The show, the movie works. I mean, it does. As much as you want to say it, if it, you think it's cringy or hard to watch, or cheesy, watch The Monsters. I mean, The Monsters... Uh, especially since you learn the history, learn the history of what are the odds that the people behind the monsters wanted to make a movie about monsters, or wanted to make a TV series about monsters and set them in the real world, making a funny show. They copied Charles Adams' cartoons at the same exact time that Charles Adams' cartoons is going to be adapted to a show. And it just sets off all these projects, all these things. All these people are now attached to the Adams family and the Munsters. And it's like, okay, the Munsters has a movie. Wednesday has a series. It's Munsters turn up to bat to what they're going to do next. But I, I, I liked it. I, I really did. I mean, I, I really... I actually thought that Jeffrey Daniel Fellows was a good Herman Munster. He didn't really do a Fred Gwynn impression Daniel Roebuck didn't really do an Al Lewis impression I mean a lot of that is just his I mean, he does have makeup and stuff but a lot of that is his face is just his demeanor you know so a lot of them the only one I, I think that was doing an impression that tried to had to work at what she was portraying would be Sherry Moon Zombie playing um, Lily because she, she did kind of act in a way that was different. So she she was trying to be the part that she was. So she's probably like the only one that didn't make it her own. But everybody else had an original way of going about it. If you watch that movie, Richard Brake just it immediately wants you to get into Richard Brake stuff. I mean, I I wouldn't I wouldn't see it in any. I mean, he, and he does conventions, so I would tell this to him. I mean, I, I'd want to meet him so I could tell him how much. I thought he was really cool in the monsters. It's still split on what people think of the movie. And Rob Zombie got to make the movie. He kind of got to make the movie he wanted. He wanted to do it in black and white. The studio wouldn't let him. So it, so instead he shot this retro color. And he deliberately made everything that you see look the way that it does. And I think for what it is, what it's supposed to be, he didn't ruin the monsters. You know, he didn't. You know, the only way you could think that if he would ever try ruining the monsters would be if he did a TV series and every week you're having that to compare it to and you're thinking, is ha can this idea go for 13 weeks or 10 weeks or whatever? But I really, I really enjoy it and I, I really recommend that people check it out. I, I don't think that there are some audiences out there that are getting it. 
you know, that immediately are just, they don't think that that's for them. They don't, they don't understand it. And every once in a while, there should be movies out there that just don't make any sense and take your, completely take your mind off things. And that's what this does. It completely takes off your, takes your mind off things. It's random. It's fun. It's not a, it's not saying anything to you that you would disagree with, you know, to make you angry. I mean, as a fan of the, if you would be a fan of the monsters, you had enough of that your whole monster life with the remake of the TV series in the cartoon in the Mockingbird Lane thing. That's, Mockingbird Lane was like a different strange. It's kind of like the different take on um, Archie into Riverdale. And they just kind of set that off into that kind of direction where you take a show and do a complete, you know, change of the uh, the landscape of the characters and you put them into a different setting. And Archie's being placed into a murder mystery, a dark murder mystery for Riverdale. It's, it's an original idea, but if the source material, if it doesn't bother anybody too much, then it can live on. But I, I've been myself trying to think, what would I do? What show out there, like if I did a different version of the Andy Griffith show or something, or... Gilligan's Island. Now they have done a different version of Fantasy Island that I haven't seen yet. Uh, but that, I was kind of intrigued when I first saw it come out. The Love Boat now, the real Love Boat coincidentally with Jerry O'Connell you, you don't need to do that idea. You know, you just see the list of the ideas that have gone over the years. That Love Boat had a remake. So it's like oh gosh, this is what this is. The world is full of re uh, remakes, reboots. My family and I recently just got done watching. My sister in particular wanted us to watch the latest Scream. Finally got to watch Scream, the latest one. And I was really impressed by it. I really think that Wes Craven would have loved it. And it introduced me to a new word called a requel. And I like that word because it's like a reboot that pays tribute with legacy characters. You know, it had a very... Uh, how Scream, how Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson decided to set up the story for all the Scream movies. One thing led to another. It became a movie. Within a movie, then all of a sudden, you're in the movie, they're doing movies based off real events. They're doing takeoffs. Now, by the time you get to this movie, you have... The movie within a movie, you have the rebooted movie within a movie being rebooted. I mean, it's very, just, well, I was really impressed by it. Really, really loved it. And ten years ago, I wouldn't say that about a lot of horror movies. But I, I really thought that they, you know, considering that Wes Craven has passed away, how do you capture what the original people because a lot of times when they come back, they can get who they can get to come back. But sometimes when you can't get people to come back, you can only deal with what you're given. But for them not to have Wes, they did uh, a great tribute to him. So yeah, 
So I think I'm going to end right there. That's my review. That's my... Uh, I wanted to get into the history of the monsters because I found it completely fascinating. I did, anyways. Fascinating in the comparisons that the Adams family and the monsters have gone through for years. And still to this day, they have this connection where you can't have one without the other. And so it still leaves you up that, okay, guys, you have Rob Zombie's The Monsters versus Tim Burton's Wednesday. You know, you know I should do another whole podcast on what people think of Tim Burton these days because I've read some things. I've heard and read or heard and seen videos of people explaining about Tim Burton and a lot of it's kind of a letdown but this is my childhood you know Tim Burton was my childhood a lot of his ideas uh, a lot of my creations that I had over the years Zombie Larry you could compare to in some form like I wanted on some level that to resemble something that Tim Burton would do even my show Curvy Vampirism is a reality show uh, documentary series where my sister and I play vampires that are, you know, everything about them is just, uh, they live daily lives as if they were human, but they just happen to be vampires. So there's always these little things little here and there that sound like one another, all strung together because we all kind of get inspired by each other all at the same time for some reason. I mean, yeah. You know, you never seen it until you really see it plain as day how close the monsters in the Adams family were to being alike. Thank you for listening thus far. Uh, don't forget to subscribe if you already haven't to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, Breaker, Spotify, all those things. I'm Richard Wigan, and yes, this is the Some Other Useless Podcast. I will now leave you with a, a really great moment from the Monsters TV show, the original one. Uh, it's a little short little speech by Fred Gwynn as Herman uh, that I see passed around the internet as something inspirational for people to watch all the time. So you'll hopefully hear from me soon, and I'll see you. Bye, everybody. Bye. The lesson I want you to learn is it doesn't matter what you look like. You can be tall or short, or fat, or thin, or ugly, or handsome, like your father. <laughs> uh, you can be black, or yellow, or white. It, it doesn't matter. What does matter is the size of your heart and the strength of your character.